before we get into our sermon today, I want to just give us a moment to rest in God. Uh, I love that song, how it begins. It comes out of Matthew 11, where people are tired, burdened out, and Jesus says, come to me, and I will, I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so I imagine in this room, some of you are coming in with some anxiety, with some worry, maybe about your health, maybe about your job, finances, maybe about your marriage or your singleness. Uh, Pete taught us a, uh, really a way to posture your body that really gives expression to what's happening in your heart, where if you recall a couple of weeks ago, when we offer our worries to God, we place our hand down and then we offer our hands up to receive his rest. And we put our hand down, we're saying, Lord, we give you our worry. We give you our, our fear. We give you our disorientation. We give it to you. And we want to receive your grace and receive your peace. And so if, you're really, if, if your soul feels worried today and fear and exhaustion, I want to invite you just to put out your hand this way here as I pray for us before we hear our, our message today. And just to give it to Jesus, to offer that to him. No need for you to hold it. He says, cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. And so, Father, during our, this time of our service here, our gathering, we offer you our worry. We offer you our fears. We offer you our exhaustion. Lord, we offer you our confusion. We offer you our sickness, our pain. Everything, Lord, that we've been holding on that's been a burden to us. And, Lord, we, we give it to you. We offer it to you, Lord. And Lord, in exchange, as I want to invite you to open your hands with your palms up. In exchange, Lord, we receive your peace. We receive your grace. We receive your loving kindness. We receive your joy. We receive your love. Lord, fill us today. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with the love of Jesus. And so we offer the rest of our gathering to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. All right. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. If you are new here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church. If this is your first time here, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs uh, with some of our staff. And if I've never met you before, I would love to meet you. And so don't run out of here before. Uh, introducing yourself to me. Now, before uh, we get into our, our message today, I want to let you know next week is our Vision Sunday. And our Vision Sunday, really, we're starting off a month of talking about our vision. And so if you're new to New Life Fellowship Church, this is a wonderful time for you to be coming to us because we're going to share uh, who we are as a church, what our vision, our values, and all of that over the next month. If you've been here for a while, it's a great reminder of who we are and what Christ is inviting us to do in our city and really throughout the world as well. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be in the new family of Jesus, and we're going to talk about our, our vision and our values out of that. Now, after that service next week, after the second and third service, it's usually a time where folks are coming back from vacation, and it's a time to reconnect with each other. And so uh, after the service in the parking lot, we'll probably get it in the parking lot so, or in the front of the church, we're going to give you an opportunity to connect over ice cream. And so Mr. Softy's going to be stopping by after the second service and the third service, a couple of Mr. Softies that we've arranged. And so everyone's going to get a free ice cream cone or an icy or something like that. It's going to be on the honor system, okay? And so everyone gets one ice cream cone. 
Someone said, Rich, you, should we give out tickets? And I said, no, we're, we're, we're a church. We... So, please, it's the honor system, okay? Uh, they, we're budgeted for a certain amount of ice cream cones, okay? And so, um, please uh, do that, all right? Now, today we're actually in, in for an amazing treat. Uh, Rosie Candethill, as many of you know, has been a pastor at New Life, and we've been strengthened by her teaching. We've been encouraged by her wisdom. We've been inspired by her desire to be formed into Christ and lead us to being formed into Christ. And uh, last year, as you know, for the past year, Rosie has been away at a monastery in Wisconsin. And uh, it's almost been a year since she's been away. And uh, when I heard that she was going to be coming back to be with us this weekend, I, I couldn't pass on an opportunity to invite her up here to have her share what her story's been like, what her experience has been like over the past year. And in the past year, uh, we talked about it at our staff meeting this past Wednesday. I had Rosie, you know, talk to our staff, and, and it was just wonderful to hear what she's been learning and how God has been coming to her. And so I wanted her to come because I believe that God's going to speak to us through Rosie today in our conversation. And so when someone comes in, when we invite a guest to, to New Life to speak on a Sunday, you know, we give them a really raucous ovation. We invite them to, you know, stomp their feet and clap their hands and let them know, we love you, we're glad you're here and all that. But Rosie's not a visitor. This is home for Rosie. And so we want to show her some extra love, okay? So put your hands together, stomp your feet, whatever you want to do as Rosie comes up here. All right. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about living a, a monastic life, and uh, next week you'll hear more about that as well. Uh, but at New Life, when we say we are a monastic community, that simply means that we are called to slow down to be, uh, to be with God in community. And our world, as you know, is a world of frenzy. It's a 24-7 culture. We live in the city that never sleeps in New York, and so we're invited to a new kind of rhythm of following Jesus in the world. And the, the presence of the monastic spirit is not something that emerged. Really, monasticism flows out of the, the, the desert father traditions in the 3rd and 4th centuries and, and, and all of that. And after, it's out of that place that the monastic movement finds its ground and its root. But, but really, the monastic spirit begins in the scriptures. And there is a passage of scripture out of the book of Exodus that I want to show to frame our time today uh, and our conversation with Rosie today because I, I think it's a really important text for us and what it means to follow Christ in this city for us at New Life Fellowship Church as individuals and as a community. And so here's our text. It's actually a very familiar text of Scripture out of the book of Exodus chapter 3. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you know, if you haven't read the book of Exodus, you've seen the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, you know the story. It's a story about Moses who uh, was called in to be with God in the, in the desert. Out, out, you know, he was in, in Egypt, he, he lived his life as an administrator, he murders someone, and he leaves Egypt, and he finds himself in the desert. And it is in the desert, which is really the, the metaphor for our, our a deep formation in Christ that we're going to talk about today, it is in the desert that Moses meets God. And so hear the word of the Lord out of Exodus chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, beginning verse 1. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And you want to know today that God is calling your name directly. All of you in this room, God knows you by name, and he's calling you today. He's calling you by name, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, which is essentially the response that God is looking for us. Every single day, God calls your name, and he's looking for three words for us. Here I am. That's the invitation of following, following God in this world here. And so then it says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So, go, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, this is a, a foundational passage to the monastic life and what it means to be called to this kind of life. Uh, as, at a local church and as followers of Jesus. And, and I want to show you just a couple of things here that frame our conversation with Rosie. And I want you to see that in the book of Exodus in chapter 3, the desert really is a metaphor in, in the Bible for a place of encounter. And so the desert, number one, is the place of encounter. Moses leaves Egypt. He leaves the hustle and bustle. He leaves the crazy lifestyle of Egyptian culture. And now he's in a new place. He's in a desert place. And the desert is the place where he meets God. And the desert is the place where we meet God as well. The desert is a place of encounter. What you also notice is that encounters happen with God, that happen with God tend to happen in the context of silence and solitude. Moses is in the desert. And at New Life, we talk a lot about silence. We talk a lot about solitude because that is the place of encounter. And how do we create a desert in our city that never sleeps? We, we create a desert. We fashion a desert in our own world. And the way we create a desert space is through embracing silence and solitude. And it is out of silence and solitude that we encounter God. This is why the world has a hard time encountering God. And this is the gift that the church is to be to the world where we teach the world how to encounter God. And it happens when we're quiet enough to hear God speak to us in silence and in solitude. But I want you to know where the message goes right after that. After God reveals himself to Moses, right after that, Moses doesn't say, that was a wonderful encounter with God. Thank you. And he goes about his business and continues. That was wonderful personal experience. Thank you, God. What you see there is what happens in verse 10. He says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And what you also notice about the desert is this. Although it's an encounter with God, encounters are for the, for the purpose of liberation from destructive powers. That's the reason we encounter God. We don't encounter God for the sake of our own just, uh, you know, spiritual, fuzzy, religious uh, experiences. We experience God for the sake of the liberation of the world, to be released from destructive powers, us ourselves first, and then the world around us. And so uh, for our time today, you know, we, we look at the desert, and in scripture we see people like Moses who goes to the desert and encounters God. We see people like Elijah who gets to a quiet space and encounters God. We see John the Baptist 
who is in the wilderness, another word for the desert, and encounters God. And for our sake today, we're going to look at Rosie Candethil, who has gone to a desert to encounter God. And so I know there's a little bit of pressure, uh, you know, putting you in the context of Moses and John the Baptist and Elijah and Rosie Candethil from Brooklyn, you know. <laughs> it's Brooklyn, you know. Forget about it, okay. And so, and so... Uh, Rosie, many uh, folks here obviously know you. Many folks probably who have been coming to New Life over the last year do not know you. And so you have gone from one trajectory in life to another. You, you went from a career where you had to do a lot of speaking as a, as a lawyer, as a public defender, to coming on staff as a, as a teaching, preaching pastor, to now going to, uh, in a place right now of very little speaking, to a lot of silence. And so why don't you just share a little bit of your journey? How did you end up in a monastery in all places, Wisconsin? And so why don't you give, give us some context to your journey? Mm. Well, first of all, it is good to be home. It's good to be with you all. Um, and for those of you that don't know that much of my journey, it has been all over the place, like you said. Like, um, but one of the things when you described my journey, there was a part that you had missed, which was the sabbatical, right? So um, for those of you that don't know, I started out as a lawyer, as a public defender for many years here in New York City with the Legal Aid Society. It was a job that I found deeply meaningful and a place where I really did encounter God and really believed that, and still believe this, that Jesus is the best criminal defense lawyer that ever lived um, and that was my hero in that he defends us all, gets us off scot-free, and we are all forgiven as a result of this encounter with Christ. So he truly was my model, and I really believe that my Christian life developed as a lawyer following Christ in my profession. Um, and then after seven years of doing that work, I, I felt a call to really examine the will of God for my life. And I know you guys have been studying Colossians, and there's a lot in there about growing up and understanding the full will of God and being fully confident in that. And that was a desire of mine as I took a sabbatical after my seven years of being a lawyer. And the prayer specifically for me was to, if God wanted me to be a criminal defense lawyer for the rest of my life, I wanted to be the very best lawyer that I could be. And I had spent already 10 years, three years of law school, seven years of my profession, trying to become the best trial lawyer that I could. But I wanted to make sure that if, if this was the call, I was going to give my whole life to it. So during that year, I met with a spiritual director. I took time off. I spent time in silence and solitude. I spent time really trying to develop my life of prayer, trying to listen for God's still, small voice in my own life. And during that time, I actually, as, as you know, at that point, at the end of my year, I, I entered into pastoral ministry here at New Life Fellowship. You guys became my home and my context and my community for living out my call here. And so you've been a really intimate part of my journey. It was only after this year of being here and being a pre preaching pastor here. And my title, as you remember, was Pastor of Contemplative Arts. So this, um, this desire to learn more about monastic life didn't just come from nowhere. It's, it's been in my life for years. It's been a thread that I've been trying to follow. And that you, in your grace, have really allowed me to continue to do in this more... Uh, focused way by going to a monastery during this year. So I, I, w I really want to position my time and my growth and my commitment to monastic life in these last three, four years where I've really tried to take a more intentional approach of what is this attraction that you put in me and how do I 
follow that out in the world. Uh, whether it's through the local church, whether it's through the monastery, there's a deep understanding in this community that without monastic life, without depth in our life in Christ, we can't go very far as mature Christians. Yeah, which is wonderful. And so you're, you took a sabbatical, came to new life here, and now you're on a, really another sabbatical. And um, give us a little idea. You're in a monastery in Wisconsin. You have some pictures for us as well. But give us an, a little overview of just the grounds, where you're at there, and also a little, an overview of your a typical day, because a typical day is literally that. It's what you experience every single day of your life. There's no, like, adjustments. It's every single day. So why don't you just guide us here with what you've been experiencing over the last year? So this first picture here, just so you can see, this is an image of the prairie in summer. It is gorgeous. We live on about 153 acres of restored prairie, um, and it's a, it's a beautiful setting. The ministry of this particular monastery that I've been living at for this year uh, is retreat uh, and guest services. So we have a retreat house that allows for about 20 to 25 people to stay. We have two hermitages as well. So the major mission of this community is to be able to provide a space for anyone that desires to find time with God. Silence and solitude of any person of any faith are welcome to be able to come there. And we try to provide a space where others can find the margin uh, for really looking at the will of God for their lives. So this is the community that I started with. There were six of us uh, originally, and there are three sisters in this picture as well. So we were all, the younger women in this picture, were all women who came to live as volunteers and learn more about monastic life through the year. And then there are three older sisters who run the place and really are the ones that are promised to live out Benedictine life with this community. There's some other pictures here. This is the monastery that I live at. It's a really beautiful building with a lot of natural light, a lot of natural wood, and this reflects the aesthetic of the Benedictine monastery, which is about finding God in all things, and particularly in the created world that, that God has made. So it really is a lovely place to be all the time. So that's the building, and there, those are the bells, if you can see, that call us to prayer every day, which will bring me right to our, um, our timetable. One of the gifts of the monastic schedule is that it is, exactly as Rich said, the same every single day. And that predictability is there to be able to provide a sense of stability for the monk so that you know where you are to be at all times. And it's centered around the work of God, which for us is prayer, and is worked out through the liturgy of the hours. So our schedule works like this. You wake up on your own, and this is every single day, probably around 5, 5.30 in the morning, so that you have your own personal time with God. And this is before you go as a community to morning prayer. Morning prayer begins at 7.30 a.m., and it's a silent period of meditation from 7.30 to about 8 a.m. And there you're really getting centered on silence, solitude in God. So it's a very quiet morning as you start. And then at 8 a.m. begins our first liturgy of the hours. That's our morning prayer. We use a book. We read from the Old Testament. We also sing, and so we do an old sort of, uh, it might sound old, uh, monastic chant. We do psalms as well. And so it's a time to center ourselves on the story of God and listen to scripture together and offer some prayers for the world, prayers for the people that are coming to the monastery, and prayers for any concerns that anyone in the room has. It's an open time of prayer, so retreatants and the promised members of the community are all there in the morning. At 8.30, we meet together, and that's called a chapter meeting where we run over the work for the day, whatever those tasks might be. Uh, I want to see if I have a picture of that. Um, some of the tasks involve um, the garden. So for the spring and the summer, um, we farm a lot, which has been a real surprise for a Brooklyn girl. 
but uh, I learned that you can grow food. So, uh, wow. It doesn't come from a grocery store. So, especially not when you have to dig the ground and put seeds in it and, and wait for food to come up. But the real grace of this time is really entering into the season of growth and really knowing that you have a part, we have a part, in providing the food that our retreatants eat. And so there's a real uh, intimacy, I think, in being able to put seeds into the ground, watch it grow, and then watch people eat from that. In a way, it's a metaphor for monastic life, for me at least. It's been really a deep sense of formation through just the gardening. But anyway, so at 8.30 we meet, we talk about what we're going to do for the day, if it's the garden, if you're going to be turning over rooms for guests, if you're going to be helping with the meals, if you're going to be doing dishes, whatever it is. We go over that and then we go to our work at 9 a.m. Then we pause at 11.30 and that's to prepare for midday prayer, which starts at 11.45. So that period of stopping from 11.30 to 11.45 is on purpose as well, so that there's a moment for you to transition from work to prayer. And the, the, the sort of the heart of that is that we're reorienting our work, reorienting our lives around the work of God, which is prayer for our community. We stop at 11.45. There's a reading from the gospel. There's, a, again, some sung psalms and a reading. So we have a little time of prayer, and then we go to lunch at noon. Everyone eats their meals together, the, the community, and anyone who's visiting. So retreatants or anyone who's visiting for the day. And so we eat our meals together. The conversations, too, are a way to be able to encounter Christ in our life there. And that's a very important theology for Benedictine communities, which is that every guest is to be treated as though they are Christ. And we do understand and believe that, that the Spirit of God is in all people and in all creation. But to have a theology that bases even the meal that we share together, where I'm sitting across from Rich and I'm really having an experience of Christ being embodied across from me. And as we eat together, this dining table becomes a communion table in that sense. So even the meal has this sacramental, sacred approach to it that I find just incredibly moving. And it can really transform your day to have a meal that way. After lunch, we go to another two hours of work. And then we pause at 3 p.m. for a period of reading or study. Benedictine life, also one of the pillars of it is study and reading. So we read scripture or we read um, some sort of book that we're studying during that time. Then at 4.30, we have our next prayer, our evening prayer. And that is a sung prayer. And we usually read from one of the epistles of the apostles. And uh, we sing some of the psalms. We do a prayer. And then we have another period of silent prayer until about 5.15. After 5.15, we all go to dinner together. Again, we practice this sort of sacramental eating of understanding that the guest is Christ. So we listen to the conversation that way. We eat together in the presence of Christ and honoring Christ in our food and in one another. And then the day is pretty much over. We have time for conversation, recreation, whatever that is. And then the grand silence at 9 p.m. So, And that's really a way to be able to sort of end all conversation and return to the silence that, that this life really sort of circulates around. So that's our day. Every day. Every day. So, so when are you doing status updates on Facebook? Yeah. And... Not so much. So technology has really been a challenge, actually. And they've given us, and so as a sort of concession to the idea that technology is an important part for people staying in touch with one another and being connected with one another, we have one hour on Monday for technology time. Do you go crazy during that hour? I'm like, oh. <laughs> I've never been more efficient with my... <laughs> this monastery is changing, too, because of the way that technology comes in. But yeah. I would be going nuts during that hour. Yeah. I was just like... 
Um, what I love about what you just said is what we talked about two weeks ago where in the book of Colossians, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And the way that uh, I taught that a couple of weeks ago was that just wasn't pray when you get, it, get around to it. It was really ordering your life, your daily life, with rhythms of prayer. And the prayer that I asked you guys to pray, or really a pray that you would pray, was, Lord, give me desire and discipline to seek you more and more. That throughout the course of the day, we're pausing to be with God. Just like Rosie's doing in the monastery, whether for five minutes, whether for ten minutes, whether for fifteen minutes, uh, as part of your rhythm in following Jesus. Now, you've been doing that for the past year, like, I mean, every single day, and you have the benefit of the community, you have the benefit of the bells to remind you and call you to that. But what has that meant to you, pausing regularly every day? Uh, what has that done inside of you? What has that meant to you? Has that been challenging as well to pause frequently like that? I mean, that is truly the gift of living at a monastery is that the whole community is oriented toward this center, which is Christ. And all work comes from our, our, our understanding that prayer fuels our work and is our work, right? So that really is a gift, right? So everyone is moving toward the times of prayer together. Everybody sort of has an understanding of that. So that makes the monastery a place where the encounter of God is encouraged in the daily and in every moment. And so uh, I've been using this analogy, actually, and I think it works, but I've been, I've been talking about this picture of a sunflower. I don't know if you've seen a sunflower, but um, the work of the prayer that stops us in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening this way, eating our meals in this way where we are encountering Christ at every, at every occasion, it's like the sunflower that's able to sort of open itself up to the light and move just a bit to reorient itself at every moment. And in some sense, the sunflower is wired for that, right? Its cells are made to respond to the light in that way. And I get the sense that our Christian life is the same, that in our DNA, something deep inside of us in our spiritual lives is made to orient ourselves to the light. And this is really when we are at our healthiest. This is when we are growing. And it's in this sort of subtle orientation to God that I think the work of God, the prayers really change the way that you see time, work, and relationships. Mm. So that's the real, I think, incredible value of being in a community where everyone is stopping at the same time for prayer and you're giving yourself the opportunity to reorient, to, to let your sort of self say, where's the light in this situation? Where does my story connect to the story of God in the world? And, and where am I experiencing that? And how can I get closer to that? Now, has that been, since you're at a monastery, has, has that been easy for you to stop regularly like that? Or have you experienced some challenges on that journey? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not easy to stop. I mean, that's, I, I hope that's not an illusion of the monastery. Uh, it, it, although there are things that make it easier, as in the bells and the fact that the community is moving together toward these things, there is, of course, the natural kind of tendency. I'm, I love work. Like, if you give me work to do, and I, I had a little bit of work to do, like, it's amazing how quickly I can become engrossed, engrossed in that task and feel an irritation even, especially during midday prayer. Midday prayer I find to be the most challenging of all. Um, and so you're in the middle of a work period, you hear the bells go off at 1130, which is, means that you drop everything and start transitioning to midday prayer, right? And so there's a, a real challenge, I think, when I experience that irritation, which is I'm in the middle of this amazing sentence for my blog that needs to go in in these two weeks. If I don't write this down right now, it's going to go. What am I going to do, right? 
And, and yet the whole community is moving toward prayer. And so I have to drop the pen. I have to drop that brilliant sentence. And I have to say, it's time to go to prayer. And in that small discipline, you get to the oratory, you start praying, and the gospel is being read, right? Because midday prayer is really powerful. There's always a gospel reading, and when we read the gospel reading, we are given the understanding that it is Christ himself who addresses us. So everyone rises from their seat when the gospel is being read. We turn our bodies toward the pulpit in the front, and we listen to the word of God addressing us directly. And I can't even tell you, just in that subtle reframing physically of getting up and of standing and of listening to the word of God being addressed to you in the middle of the day, it humbles you. And you realize whatever that sentence was that you were working on, that you were irritated about going to prayer, suddenly is like, oh, right, this is why I'm here. It is Christ speaking to me in my work, Christ speaking to me in my time. Christ is here. Mm. I can let that go. (laughs) And then I can move toward the rest of my day with a sense of, like we were singing, the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, give us some help here because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I invited us to this kind of light. Now, it sounds radical. It sounds crazy. And indeed, it is for our culture to pause a few times a day to reorient ourselves, to recenter our our hearts and our minds here. And uh, last week, as I mentioned, I asked someone uh, after the second service, actually, how have you been doing with prayer? Stopping. And, And she said, you know, the first two days I was... I was doing great, pausing two, three times a day, and then my mother got on my nerves. And, and, and because my mother got on my nerves, I just couldn't pray anymore, Rich. It was just so hard for me to pray again. And so, and so those things come our way, like irritations in that respect. That keep, what would you say to us? Because I think it's, it's critically important as a church that we continue to move deeper in this way of daily offices, pausing. What would you say to us here? who We don't have the benefit of that community that tight community, like that, like you have. We don't have the benefit of the bells, although we can put bells in our iPhones and everything like that. What would you say to us as we are moving towards that kind of prayer two, three times, sometimes four times a day? Well, do you mean about, like, handling daily irritations about... Uh, or doing what, like, I look at it like the Food Network. The Food Network, you know, Iron Chef America, you, after the clock says that's it, Don't touch the food anymore. You cannot touch it. Get your hands up. You can't touch the food anymore. I think in some way that's how Jesus is inviting us to follow him. That that our hearts would be so aligned to his presence and who he is. That when a particular time of the day comes. That we stop what we're doing to be present to God in a very intentional way. The question is how do we get to that place more and more. Where we are aligning our hearts to be with God a few times a day. I think you've hit on the right point, right? I mean, there's, there is a point that as a Christian you realize that your life in Christ perhaps began with an attraction to Christ, but at a certain point your disciplines need to catch up to that as well. There is a certain inefficiency to prayer. I mean, there just is, right? I mean, it's not as efficient or productive to stop in the middle of the day when you're in the middle of an engrossing task where you're being productive in your work. To actually stop requires at that point a discipline, right? And so there's an attraction within our souls and in our spirits toward God and toward prayer. But the growing up, the maturity of our Christian life requires that there's some discipline that's added to that. No one just feels like praying the offices. I'll tell you that right now. Even when you live at a monastery, nobody feels like it. 
We do it because we've made a promise to do it to ourselves. We believe that this is our discipline and this is our call. So, you know, whether I feel like coming to midday prayer or not, that's not a question. That's, that's me putting my feet where my mouth is. That's me putting my feet where I believe my heart should be, right? So I am moving in that direction because I want this and I need this and I know this is the only way to get it, right? I mean, it would be as silly as an athlete saying, I, I, I'm only going to run when I feel like running. Mm. I mean, that's not going to get you very far. You, yeah. You've got to not only feel that attraction, but you've got to add that discipline. And as mature Christians, I know you've been studying Colossians too, and you've been, you've been looking at what does it look like to grow up in Christ? What does it look like to put feet to my intention? And th- these kinds of rhythms, where even where you don't feel like it, you know, it, it becomes a part of your life. And we hope at the monastery, actually, that on some level we're providing the kind of symbolic community that you need to be able to move into that prayer with us. You know, in some way we're providing a marginal support that you know somewhere in the world, mm. anywhere in the world, actually, there are monasteries all over that provide exactly that, that we are praying alongside you morning, afternoon, and evening. Mm. And that's great, and which is why, and I love how Rosie just connected the attraction to the discipline, which is why really praying that prayer, Lord, give me desire and discipline, I think that's a prayer that God loves to, to answer, and God will begin to, to do that in us. Now, you've been on a monastery. What, what has been most challenging for you in Wisconsin, uh, which is different from Brooklyn, I hear? Uh, what's been most challenging for you? I mean, the winter's pretty bad. I don't know if you heard about winter in Wisconsin. But there were days during the winter that were like, like the high degree was a negative number. So we could definitely use your prayers during the winter. But I mean, the, the, one of the major things, and I've been quite honest about this, is like last week when I was here at New Life, like I had this glimpse of the beauty of the diversity of this city in New York. And it's easy when you live in a place like this you know, to get on a subway car and not notice the fact that you are sitting with every nation, tribe, and tongue right there. You know, and it's, for me, this week as I've come back, I have come into a new sense of the gift of places like this, where we live with one another in all this different diversity, and we live in peace. I mean, for the most part, we live in peace with one another, and that's a, that's a great gift. Um, one of the challenges of being in a community like Madison, Wisconsin, is that it's not as colorful as a congregation like this. So I am often the only person of color in the room. I, you know, so, and that is a, a bit of a rub for me, having grown up in a city like this, having maybe taken for granted the kind of beauty that comes out of living so closely with so many different people. I can tell you that after this year, I will never take for granted the gift of New York City as being part of my DNA. It was a place that raised me and that changed me to kind of hope and know that this is what God intends. And the other challenge, the major challenge too, is we live in a very rigid kind of timetable and we live in a very small community in Wisconsin. So there are only three sisters at this community that are promised, right? The rest of us come in for a period of time. Most of the people that come leave, right? So here's a very small community and the challenge really is I'm living with you daily I am living with you one-on-one. I am seeing your junk. I am coming to prayer with you. I am eating with you. I am seeing your limitations. I am also seeing your strengths. And I am learning to love in all of that. Now, that has been a real challenge to live so closely with people that are not my family, 
that are not people that I'm married to, but they're people that I'm called to love in the daily. And that's been a gift and a challenge, right? Because that's, that's who we are as Christians called to do, to love one another. And so in this kind of very intimate and intense relationship, we learn to work out our faith with one another. So are you, are you saying that even folks in the monastery have issues? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I hate to burst the bubble, but these are normal people. It's, it's deeply encouraging, actually, that even Sister Joanne has had 60 years of monastic life. You know, 60 years of life, right? And she's a normal person, you know? So it's good to get under the covers and see that monastic life is not an automatic fix. We're all learning how to live more loving, more holy, more, more open lives. Like, yeah, so it's, they're all real. Wow. So... Um... What I want to spend the rest of our time with uh, uh, today is to talk about discernment. Now, last week, as we closed the book of Colossians, one of the, the key points out of that letter to, that Paul wrote was that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, uh, with, this, with spiritual understanding that the Spirit gives. And all of us in this room, we have decisions to make, large decisions, small decisions, but many times, at various parts and seasons of our lives, we have to make big decisions whether we should marry or not marry, move or relocate, stay, take this job, uh, go to another job, what have you. And so the, the idea of discerning God's will, which is that it should, people want to know, what's God's will for my life? And, and we wrestle with that, don't we? We wrestle with, what, God, what do you want me to do? You've been wrestling with that particular question over the past year. And at our staff meeting, you said, that's probably the question you've been wrestling with most. God, what is your will for my life? And so... What have you learned about discerning the will of God, which is quite a question that we all want to uh, get right to some degree, and we want to live faithfully out of that. What have you learned over the past year about that particular question? I mean, this is, yeah, it's a huge question, right? And, and for, I've been walking out this question of discernment really for a long time. Like, wh what does God ask of me, right? And, um... When I was with this community, too, like, you know, am I called to be a preacher? Am I called to be a teacher in a, in a local church? Or am I called to be at a monastery? Or am I called to be a lawyer? I mean, there was all these questions of what is it that you want me to do? And yet, during this year at the monastery, I found my orientation changing. So that the question that I thought I was entering the monastery with is, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to become a monk or do you want me to become a pastor? Right? So it's sort of like these blocked kind of questions like what is it what is it that you want me to do the question began to shift for me as i began to realize that we all share as christians the same calling we all share the same will that god wants for us which is this to love god with all your heart your mind your strength with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself and that is essentially our calling whenever you are doing those two things you are doing god's will so in a sense, like during this year, there was a deep renewal of our freedom in Christ. It wasn't so much a question of what is it, God, that you want me to do with my life? It was more a question of, God, how do you want me to be in my life? Do you want me to be a more loving, a more joyful, a more kind, a more patient, a more faithful, a, a more self-controlled presence in the world? These fruits of the Spirit that we talk about from Galatians 5. How then do I create a shape for my life or choose a shape for my life that allows me to live into the gifts of the Spirit, 
So that where I'm experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, how do I orient my life toward those things so that I can be more like that, so that I can be more loving? And that, to me, was an incredibly freeing experience in my discernment. Mm. It allowed me to experience the freedom of life in God, that it isn't so much controlled by the work that I do. I mean, Rich started off this interview with talking about Moses, right? If you look at his life, it was all over the place in, in terms of what he should do. He started out living in Pharaoh's palace at the top, you know, at the height, in the penthouse suite. And then he gets, he kills someone, you know, and is running from the criminal justice system out in the wilderness. And then God calls him, and then he comes back to the city, right? And then he's sort of going back and forth. And he was a shepherd for many years. He was probably a scholar for some of those years. Like, who knows what kind of work he was doing? And yet, he was able to move from all these different contexts, still following the will of God. And there's something to be seen, I think, in that picture of Moses, and then also in the picture of our own lives, is we take all kinds of different paths to do all kinds of different things. But the essential orientation that God desires for our life is love. And wherever we are more loving, Mm. more peaceful, more patient, more kind, and more joyful, Mm. this is where God wants us to be. And what God wants us to do is orient our lives in that direction. So it's not so much the place where you're working, or it's not so so much the the profession that you choose. It's it's this orientation, I think, that becomes essential to the mature Christian life. Mm. So this year of discernment for me wow. has really opened up a new level of my life in God. I, I am more free than I ever have been, you know, in terms of choosing how to live out this life. And yet I feel a greater sense of clarity toward making those things a reality in my life. So there's a, a growing discipline, too, that I'm, I'm, I'm paying more attention to where these things are coming up in my life and in the daily. I love what Rosie said because... Um we are oriented to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What decision? And what you're saying is, that's not the primary question we're asking. The primary question is, Lord, who do you want me to be? Who, what, what's the kind of person that you're calling me to be? And is it safe to say that it is out of that place that there's a, perhaps a slow unfolding of God's will for the particularities of, this is what you want me to do? Is, is that... I think it's very, and I think, again, I'll connect that to this, these times of prayers as well, is how else are we to know how to be loving presences in this world if we're not following closely to the model of Christ? Where are we to get this kind of formation and instruction if we are not daily dipping into Scripture and being with one another as, as presences that are loving, right? Where, where do we learn that other than in, in God mm. and deliberately dropping ourselves into God at every opportunity and deliberately looking at one another as you sitting across from me are Christ to me at this moment, you know? Where do we get that kind of formation other than by choosing to do this? You know, yeah. it doesn't just yeah. happen. Martin, I believe it was Martin Luther who said basically what you're saying in this sentence, and if you don't really grasp it, you'll miss it. He goes, love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and do as you please. Uh, do as you please. And if we're loving the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to do as our please doesn't mean we're going to do whatever we want. It's going to be our hearts are so connected to God that we want to do God's will. We want to do what He wants, to do, uh, he wants us to do uh, for Him and, and all of that. So uh, you've been in this process of discernment. So 
uh, wrestling with God over the, uh, you know, fighting with other monks in the monastery and everything like that. At least that's the kind of vision I like to get. Rosie's like fighting with monks and everything like that. Um, but where have you landed? Where, where, what's the next step for you on this journey after being almost a year at this monastery? Yeah, I mean, this is the hardest part, I think, for me to share with you all, since you, you are, in a great sense, my home and my family of faith. And you have been a, a part of my daily prayers every day at the monastery. As I've kind of grown through this year of discernment and really this question of, of God, how do you want me to be in the world? I feel more and more this attraction to monastic life. And not only an attraction, but a deep belief, understanding that this is a way that offers life to many. Um, there is a saying that monasteries provide oxygen to the world like trees provide it. They just sort of stand still. They look like they're just taking up space, but they provide air for the rest of the church. And so I've come to deeply believe that the relationship between the monastery and the church is an essential one. And there are some of us that must, must answer this call that if the shape of your life is, the shape of my life, at least as I've discerned it, is that it is a monastic one that where I can offer my gifts most holy and um, most in line with the way that God has created me. And so I'm moving into another year of uh, further formation as a novice with this community in, in, in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm moving more deeply into taking an intentional step into what does it look like to make promises to a community of women that I don't know, that are not my family, and learning how to love in the daily. Um, and I do that because I believe, as you said, that our work is to liberate the world. And in some sense, our prayers, I, I can't even articulate why I know this to be true, but prayer is effective. And as I pray for this church, as I pray for the churches of the world, I feel a deeper sense of my connection to God and to one another. And so I learn to love God with all my mind, strength, heart, all of it. And I learn to love my neighbor most deeply in this year at the monastery. Mm. So th that's where I'm getting the clarity of my call. And that's where I'm asking, in addition, for your prayers and for your, um, for your thoughts as well. It's not an easy call, but as all of us know, to become mature Christians requires discipline too. So this week I've been making preparations to leave the city that I love, this community that I love, in order to, to walk out what I believe God has revealed to me of the shape for my life in this. So this novice year is the first year of potentially other years of formation for the sake of long-term uh, life in a monastic community. Is yeah, that right? That's right. The, the novice year is just the very beginning. So it's, you know, I've spent this year living at the monastery. This next year is a deeper year of, um, of even more discipline during this year. So I'll be studying more. Um, and the life of a monastic is very slow. So the discernment takes seven to nine years for most women. So this is year one, y'all. So it's a long road. And it's meant to be slow. Like, I mean, isn't, I mean, one of the gifts of the monastery is the slowness of this, right? It's like the idea that um, to really choose well, to choose your life well, you know, um, and to make these choices with a sense that every step there is a, a resounding joy, clarity, life, love, 
that that is coming with every step. I believe that this is how God intends for Christians to live, that we move in this world with greater confidence. And so I, I'm, I'm really appreciating the slowness of the monastic process that it takes that long for me to make final promises to a community like this. So over the, over the summer, uh, Rosie and I have been, you know, uh, communicating via conversation over the phone or via email. And so every conversation I said, so Rosie, uh, September, you're coming back, right? Uh, so I, I need to, I'm putting my preaching calendar together. Uh, and so I need you. And so when she came uh, recently and, and sent an email and she said, you know, I'm going into another year of it. I have to be honest, I was disappointed, happy, ha- happy, you know, uh, and, <laughs> and because I know the gift that Rosie has been to our church, and she's been in our church for many years, she's been on staff for the past year, and you all tasted something of, of who she is and what, she, what God is in her through her preaching, through her teaching, through her small group leading, through her contemplative services. And so when she said, Rich, I'm, I'm, I'm starting a novice year, there was a part of me that said, oh, okay, uh, yeah, I guess that's God's will. And, 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 and so there was, you know, there's a, there's a pain of, you mean so much to our community. But at the same time, there is the liberty and the freedom of, this is where God is calling her. And uh, for the, minimally for the next year. And who knows how this all unfolds? Only God knows how this will all unfold. But we, what I do know is that we are in a relationship with Rosie long term. That we love Rosie. That Rosie is part of our community. She's a gift to our community here. And so however God unfolds this and unpacks this in the year and years to come, you know, she is part of our family here. I'm going to talk about our, the family of Jesus. She's part of our local family here and New Life Fellowship Church. And so um, I'm excited about where God is taking you, Rosie. I really am. And I'm excited about, uh, you know, where we are going as a church as well. And Jerry said something after the first service, and I saw it really reframed the perspective where Rosie said, you pray for us every day. You pray for us as a church specifically every day, for our staff every day. And Jerry mentioned what a gift that is. And for me, as I'm in my new role as lead pastor, and I'm thinking, wow, I have someone in Wisconsin that is praying for me, that's praying for our church. It is, what a gift to have. And so, although she's not here teaching and preaching on a Sunday morning, she is praying and interceding for us as a church. And that is a tremendous gift that we have for us here and for the sake of the world as well. And so, Rosie, you are a gift to us. Thank you. We love you. Uh, put your hands together for Rosie. I see. As we close here, I want to invite our worship team to come forward, and I want to end with um, with with the thought here. Because all of us are called, uh, like Rosie, to do one thing. To love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And it is out of that place that we find the uniqueness of the pathways that God has for us. Individually and as a church community. And so there's a prayer that we've taught you in the past. That really our conversation today is inviting us to. 
And the prayer is called the prayer of indifference. And to be indifferent doesn't mean that you don't care. That's typically when you think of indifference. Like, I don't care, whatever. I'm indifferent to, you know, the Yankees are going to win the world. I'm indifferent to it. It doesn't matter to me, at least for me. That's my prayer of indifference. But there's another prayer of indifference which essentially says, Lord, I'm open to what you have for me, whatever that might be. And at first, that's a scary prayer to pray. Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. That's a scary prayer to pray because we have a view of God that God wants our lives to be miserable. And if we pray that prayer, God is going to send us places and make us do things that are going to make our lives miserable. That's not the God who Jesus reveals. The God who Jesus reveals is a God that although it might be difficult, it's good. His will is good for us. And so we want, I want you to, uh, together, I want us to pray, Lord, not our will, let your will be done. Not my will, let your will be done. That's the prayer of indifference. And what Rosie has been doing over the last year is essentially that. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Moses is our character that really forms who we are today because he's in the desert. And we, in order to pray, not my will, your will be done, you need a desert. You need a place of silence. You need a place of solitude. Whether that desert is in your workplace, whether that desert is in your home, where you fashion a place of silence and solitude, but we all need desert spaces to ask that question and like Moses say, here I am. And so what I want to do is I want to invite us all to stand as we, as we close our gathering here because God has a, a, has a plan for you. He has a plan for us. And so often we're so fixated on what I want to do with my life and the decisions I want to do. And, and where I want to go and what's my five-year plan and who I want to marry and what my salary should be and, and what my possession should be and all of that, that we really leave little space for God to speak to us and say, I have another direction for you that's good for you. And not just good for you, good for the freedom and the liberation of the world. And so I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. And to God, maybe you want to just pray, Lord, not my will but your will be done. If that prayer is too hard for you to pray because you're not at a place where you, 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 you can trust God in that way, maybe you want to pray the prayer, Lord, help me to pray. Not my will, but your will be done. And so let's pause for a moment. Then we'll have a song of, of, of just of worship back to God and we'll close our gathering. But let's just pause for about a minute praying that prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. And my marriage and my singleness and my career and my, the place that I live, Lord, not our will. Your will be done. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. 
And Lord, our prayer is that we would have the courage and the confidence to say, not our will, but your will be done. And so, Lord, give us the courage and the strength to actually say that and pray that. Because your will is good. And where you want to take us, Lord, is, is good and it's really the place where our, our deepest desires and our deepest hearts where we long to go. And so, Lord, now we sing to you words of worship, words of praise, words of gratitude. Thank you for Rosie. Thank you for the gift that she is to our community here. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. As we close our gathering, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left. Where we take bread and we dip it in a cup. We are reminded that Christ was broken and bruised for us. Uh, so that we might enter into his wholeness, his healing, his forgiveness, walking into his rest. And so you can come up to receive that. And to my right, we have our prayer team. And so if you're at a place right now, you're wrestling with the will of God. You're trying to figure out what God wants for you. You want to enter into his rest. You can come up for prayer for whatever needs you have uh, in your life right now. And we would love to, to pray for you. Uh, Rosie will be downstairs in the lobby area, so if you want to hug her and, and say hello to her and thank her for everything she shared today, you can do that downstairs. But as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hand towards heaven to receive a blessing and walk out of here with the favor of God resting on you, the love of God and the grace of God resting on you today because he loves you with an everlasting love and he wants to lead you in the way that you should go. And so with your hands in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and may he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with the courage to say yes to his will, with the courage to pray, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. May you encounter God in a desert space this week. And in that place of silence and solitude, may, may he give you uh, who he is, his message, his word, to offer those around you the liberation their hearts deeply desire. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, Grace and peace, everyone. Have a great weekend. Great day.